Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter number 6, glad you could make it uh, on such a downpour tonight, I mean my soul, it was coming down sideways there a little while and uh, Brother Richard was telling me he's glad his truck doubles as a boat uh, because you never had to have that to get in here tonight. Uh, but boy, I looked out the window just a moment ago before I walked over to the, uh, to the sanctuary. Beautiful double rainbow over our church right now. I asked Brother Zach, I said, run out there and get a picture for me. I've got to get in there and preach tonight, but go get a picture of that rainbow. Just a constant reminder of the promises of God. And boy, you hear that great and mighty uh, thunder rolling outside. Uh, and you think about how, how much it shakes this room and how much it can be frightening. And yet, even the thunder is underneath our God. Aren't you glad about that tonight? That our God's in control of all of it. But it is good to see you here tonight. I know the weather's a little bit inclement, but uh, I tell you, I try to find a blessing in it. Uh, Brother Richard and I were talking there in the office a moment ago. We were getting the microphone on and talking about how, what a blessing it is that it rains in the afternoon. You know, it rains in the afternoon, it cools things off, we have a cooler evening uh, and a cooler morning. But if it rains in the midday, we just have that sauna the rest of the day. And so I'm thankful that it's rained in the afternoon. And uh, look, I'll be honest with you, it's hard to find a blessing in the rain sometimes, but I'm thankful for that and thankful you were able to make it. Thankful for our people watching tonight. I'm always able to see right before I walk out of the office who's able to tune in, and I'm glad that we had that opportunity to do that. I do want to remind you about the announcements there from Brother AJ. The Christmas in July has been an opportunity that has opened wide open. And we have an opportunity to minister to a lot of young people in our area, many that we do not really even know personally, uh, many that need a good church home to be a part of, and what a blessing to let them know there's a church here that loves and cares for them. Uh, I've had family be a part of the foster system before my dad uh, growing up was a part of the foster system for a little while, and know the blessing that can be to people, Brother Mike and Miss Brittany just do a spectacular job staying in contact with people and really helping network people to the answers to a lot of the needs they have, and I'm thankful these are not just carnal answers and intellectual answers, but we as a church can offer them spiritual answers and comfort and hope that they need. So I want to encourage you, if you've not got involved in that as far as getting a gift for a child, uh, I tell you, you need to get in touch with a mic and be sure that you help out with that. Uh, my wife and I are going to help all that we can and help get some kids uh, just a little bit of encouragement throughout this time as, as they wait on families and that can be tough. And then I want to remind you of a couple of things I did not get on the prayer list in time. Uh, pray for our camp this week. Uh, this week is what we call the open camp. Uh, it's for kids from all over. It's for kids who maybe couldn't have gone to camp or want to go again, go out there this week. And they are full to capacity. Uh, they have all of the beds full and then they have cots on the floor. And uh, that's probably making for a wonderful time and a wonderful smell this week with all the water and wet kids packed inside of those buildings. But for the Kurt Copelands down they're preaching right now, doing a great job, went and visited with them. A lot of our kids are there this week, and uh, I think there were four professions of faith last night. So you pray that more young people will be saved, pray that young people will be challenged, and looking forward to, to hearing testimonies when we come back from that. And then VBS coming up, pray for that if you would. Got a lot going on this week with VBS, and excited about the opportunity there to encourage our kids. And then finally, uh, Miss Myrtle Altman went home to be with the Lord. Uh, Miss Myrtle is around 96, 97 years old. I was talking with her daughter this afternoon and trying to pinpoint our, her, our daughter-in-law exactly how old she was. And uh, I did not get to know Miss Myrtle well. Uh, a few visits at her house, a few 
a nursing home, I was able to converse with her, but I've heard a lot about her from folks in our church. Pray for her family tonight uh, as they are grieving the loss of Miss Myrtle. And I really hate to say loss because uh, she's in heaven, and that's not a loss at all, is it? So pray for the Altman family tonight. Ephesians chapter number 6 tonight, I want to encourage you a little bit straight from God's Word if I could, and uh, look down to verse number 10. When you get there, let's stand together. Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 10, going to stay paused on our Road to Readiness series, uh, pick back up maybe at the end of summer, and just going as the Lord lays things upon our heart, and tonight I'll be straight up honest with you, I believe what we're going to preach on tonight and share and by way of message is something our church needs right now uh, by way of encouragement, and we'll kind of unfold that as we go. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, and watch this, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Let's ask the Lord to help us tonight. Father, thank you for allowing us, Lord, to get through the rain to church. Uh, thank you, Father, for our folks who are so faithful to come on a Wednesday night uh, when, Lord, the weather could have chased us away. Thank you, Father, for a dry building that we can come into. Thank you, Father, for the wonderful hymns of the faith that we can sing. Thank you most of all for Jesus, Lord, as we come tonight, that we have something to preach about. And, Lord, we have someone, Lord, who was willing to come and live and die for us that we could be saved. And now we have a message to tell. Help us as we open, Lord, your infallible word. Speak to us through your truth tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I was thinking about some things that I say in my life that sometimes I wonder if I really mean, all right? Uh, I don't know if you are like me, but there are times I become a creature of habit. Uh, there are times that I say things that I may mean, but maybe I'm not exactly meaning fully what I say. And I'll give you an example. Uh, there are times someone will sneeze. And when someone sneezes, what do we say? We say, bless you. And uh, that is almost a reflex, right? Uh, I don't know if you've seen the video going on, uh, going over online about the young man giving the television interview. And he sneezes, he blesses himself, and then he says thank you at the end. I'm like, wow, that was just full service. Achoo, bless you, thank you. And he even thanked himself for that. I think that's just a good example of sometimes we get caught in maybe repetition and habit. Uh, you think about how many times have you said to someone when they sneeze, bless you, and how many times have you really meant that? Uh, how many times have someone said, hey, I'm going through a tough time or I have this struggle, and you say, man, uh, God bless you, I'm going to pray for you, and how many times have you not prayed for them? We're just creatures of habit, I'll be honest with you. I've had to, in my uh, heightened state of agedness of life, I've had to get Siri to start reminding me to pray for people. 
Uh, I was talking to someone the other day, and they said, well, I have an important meeting at, at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And uh, I said, well, I'm going to be praying for you. I stopped immediately. I went to my phone, and I set an alarm. Pray for this person at 4 o'clock. Why? Because if I'm not careful, uh, I will just oftentimes say things out of habit or even cliché. Sometimes, do you know what those things are? I believe there's sometimes that even scriptural principles become cliche to us. Do you know there's a difference in something being a principle and something being a practical? You say, what do you mean by that? Well, it's something maybe you believe because, hey, I mean, as a Christian, what kind of a Christian would you be if you didn't believe the Word of God? Uh, I mean, this is the literal, inspired, inerrant Word of God. You're, you're not going to be much of a Christian if you don't believe this. And we believe this in principle, but honestly, I'll be honest with you, there are times I wonder how much we believe it as a practical, that we believe it so much we have taken it and we've put it into practice in our life. Uh, tonight, I believe what we're going to look at is one of those things. Ephesians chapter 6, you read starting in verse 10, reading all the way down to about verse Number 17, we read about a very desperate scene that's being painted here. We're reading about what is literally a spiritual battlefield. Can we agree with that? I think we've all used the term before, spiritual warfare, correct? We all understand that we're in a battle, but A.J. mentioned in his prayer a moment ago, we are living in desperate times. Uh, our, our missionary, Sunday night, uh, he texted me a moment ago, and we were talking, and he says, uh, we are living in a desperate hour. We are fighting a spiritual battle, spiritual warfare, and I, I know we understand that in principle, but I honestly wonder how often we understand that as a practical realizing the scene that's being painted out here in Ephesians 6. By the way, this is Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, but uh, this is inspired word of God. Every word that is in here was breathed out by God. God wanted us to understand in vivid detail what we are up against. And he paints the scene, listen, not just merely as a difficulty. He paints it as a battlefield. He paints it as a war, a war front. I've never been to battle. I know we have a lot of our veterans are here. You've been to battle. Brother AJ's been to battle. And I've talked to him uh, about some things. And just tough, tough scenes on the, on the battlefront. I was talking to Brother Lancaster. The other day I had lunch with him and talking about all the folks that he has contact with and uh, different firefights that they've been in and battles they've been in. Uh, that is a war front. Uh, that is a physical war front. But the Bible shows us here in Ephesians 6 that we are facing a spiritual battle and a spiritual war front. And here's the key tonight. Oftentimes on mortal battlefields, whether we're in the Middle East or uh, maybe even the Civil War battlefield back in the 1860s here in America, uh, there are casualties and we get wounded, we get hurt, but those are mortal wounds. The battlefield that's being painted out in Ephesians chapter 6, this is a supernatural battlefield where the devil is playing for keeps. There are eternal ramifications to whether or not we win or lose these battles. That ought to scare us to death tonight. We talk about spiritual warfare. We talk about fighting with the devil. And sometimes I honestly think Brother Richard was joking and I was joking before service. They were getting the microphone put on and, man, trying to get all this thing where it needs to go and get hung up on my ears. And uh, Brother Richard says, sometimes you got this wire floating in the back. And if, if I do, I'm sorry. I don't mean to be a distraction with that, all right. Uh, but this wire floating around back. And he says, it's good because it can knock the devil off your shoulder. And sometimes I think that's what we think, right? We're in this battle with the devil and we're just 
kind of do this and just, you know, shoo him away. No, this is a sure enough battle we're in. It is a spiritual battlefield. It is a front that we are fighting, and the cause is one that is worth it. But understand, the ramifications can be eternal. Sometimes I wonder if we think spiritual warfare is a cliche. Maybe we are tempted, all right, I don't know what you're tempted with, but all of us are tempted. The Bible says that we are tempted and drawn away of our own lust. All of us have things we're tempted with. I have things I'm tempted with. I have never been tempted with alcohol, really. I mean, really. I just haven't. I mean, I take NyQuil and it's bad, (laughs) you know. My wife will bake cakes and she'll have that, that uh, almond flavoring. And you know, there's like cooking alcohol in there and it smells so good, doesn't it? And then you taste it, it's just fire. Horrible. I've never been tempted with alcohol. I, I've never been tempted with drugs. Really, I've never had a problem with that. But I promise you, I have my temptations. Oh, my soul, particularly as a teenage man and, and even in my young adult years, all oh, the temptation for lust was very real for this young man. Very real. That was an own lust, something I was tempted with. And if you're not careful, you'll look at these things as, well, I'm just going to be tempted to tell a lie, but you don't understand tonight. Uh, we're playing checkers and the devil's playing chess. We think this is a joke or a cliche. It, it is not that. Tonight, I want you to understand we are at war spiritually, and we will be until we get to heaven. We will be till we get to heaven. We've had it so good in our country. We've had it so good, listen, in, here in the South, we've had it good at our church, God has blessed. I was talking to a pastor today on the phone, and he was telling me about the wonderful blessing our church to him was to him uh, when he was coming up as a young pastor back in the 1970s. The Central Baptist Church, the blessing our church. We've had it good. God's blessed us, but sometimes, if you're not careful, prosperity will lead you to a place of ease and comfort to where we begin to think that maybe we're not as much at war as we thought we were, and that's when trouble comes. That's when the devil tries to catch us. That's when he tries to catch me. I want you to think about December 7th, 1941. December 7th, 1941, we know, is Pearl Harbor, where Pearl Harbor was bombed in. Uh, I've read the story many times. I've actually seen reenactments in air shows. It is, it is quite amazing just to watch and imagine what that day was like. But it was a quiet, comfortable, calm Sunday morning. People were having breakfast. People were fellowshipping. People were out on the tennis courts. They were relaxing. It was their day off. Uh, I hope somebody was in church. I hope there were some of God's people where they were supposed to be on that day. But uh, they were taking it easy on that day. And even some testimony by people that were there on the island say that they're sitting there having breakfast and they kept hearing these explosions and wondered why the training sounded so close. They didn't realize in their ease and comfort of that morning that they were at war and they just didn't know it. And I think tonight, if we're not careful, the church can become that way. We can become complacent, we can become comfortable and at ease and not realize that Ephesians chapter 6 is to us just as much as the next person. We are at war tonight spiritually, and that's a frightening thought to be honest with you. Uh, I'd like to live the rest of my days in ease and comfort, and I know you would too, but we're not going to be able to. Why? We're in a matter of spiritual war tonight, but here's the good news. Uh, The Apostle Paul knew this, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God to write these words. He gives them what I think we need tonight. And that's a simple thought of the strength to stand. Look down, if you will, with me. Look down to verse number 10. I want you to see something. 
Finally, my brethren, what does he say? He says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. There's strength right there. But then watch this, verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to what? To stand. Verse 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. He gives us the list there. And why is he telling us these things? Verse 13, wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to what? Stand. So notice, it starts with strength and power. And he says, I want you to have strength and power so you can stand. Tonight, here's what I want to give you. Uh, a simple three-point outline on the strength to stand. And I want to show you what the Apostle Paul showed them and how they could stand in their spiritual war. If you would, look down to verse 12. He says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now tonight we've got to understand the first thing, and it's very important because if you don't understand this first point, you may be fighting the wrong battle. Notice in verse number 12, he tells them what they're up against because he wants them to understand this first point, and that's understanding the struggle. He says, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Can I tell you tonight, if you are going to overcome, and you're going to win this war, you've got to understand what you're up against. And the Bible starts off by spelling out in verse number 12, yes, you need the armor in verse number 11, but understand what you need the armor for and who you're up against. And the Bible says that what we're up against is a spiritual enemy. Spiritual. Uh, I saw uh, someone the other day on television, it's a prank that's going around, and I don't know how new or old it is, uh, but it's where people will all of a sudden walk up into a crowd of people and then be begin pretending like wasps are after them. All right, I don't know if you've been in on that. If you have, send me the video. I'd like to see it. But you just walk up into a crowd of people outside and you begin swatting. And all of a sudden, the people that are near you begin swatting too. And they begin running off. It makes you want to do it, doesn't it? You have a sin nature like I do. I want to try it as well. Maybe look, You can't do it right after church because everybody's going to know the trick, okay? Maybe go to the mall. Maybe go to Dollar General and do that. And all of a sudden, people start running. They have no idea what they're running from. I think the church is like that tonight. Uh, we don't understand what we're up against and what we are fighting. And the Bible says understand that what we're fighting is not a physical enemy, flesh and blood. It is a spiritual enemy. Satan hates you and he hates the will of God for your life. And that's why he fights you. I'll give an example. A few weeks ago I, I was pulling into Forest General Hospital to make a visit. And my air conditioning went from cold, and I like it cold, to hot. I didn't like that. Why? Because I told you Sunday, I like being comfortable. And so I'm not a mechanic. Brother Monroe probably hates to see my number pop up on his caller ID. Just like Lenny, he probably hates seeing my number pop up on his caller ID too. It means something's broken, I can't fix it. So, I, I mean, it's blowing hot. I'm fixing to go preach a revival out of town, and I'm like, I'm not driving this car an hour and a half in the heat. I'm not, I don't care if you roll down the windows. That's what I grew up with, but I'm spoiled now. And I like air conditioning. I, I hate to admit that. I feel like less of a man, but I just have to be honest with you behind the pulpit. And, and so I, I run home. I've got to preach in just a couple of hours in, uh, up in Lake Mississippi. 
or Forest, Mississippi. And uh, so I go home. Here's what I do. This is my mechanic, and Brother Monroe will tell you. I start pulling fuses. Maybe that's it. And I'm holding up. By the way, why they make them so small? Oh, what a frustration. I don't have fingernails, and I'm trying to get them out, and I'm taking my keys, and I'll say, poof, poof, and it goes up, and then it falls down into the motor, and I'm like, oh, I don't know where it is. It, whoo, the devil was after me that day for sure. And I'm putting in fuses, and I'm holding them up. Is it burned? And then I'm like, okay, no fuses. And then what do we do next? Well, I Google. Maybe it's a relay. What's a relay? Google again. Oh, it's that black square right there. <laughs> Pull it out. I go to advanced auto parts. I need one of these. I didn't know if I needed one of those. But I figured, okay, that may be what it is. So I, I get, you know, no, we don't even have that in. And so long story short, I did what everybody would do. I just hit the dash one time. Maybe that's it. Andy Griffith said, spit on it and womp it one time, and maybe it'll get back to work. And I thought that might help. It didn't help. All of that labor was in vain. Why? Because that wasn't my problem. My problem was the compressor, which is so far out of my league. <laughs> there was no point even Googling that. Thank the Lord, Brother Monroe taught me into buying the extended warranty. You talk about people who hate seeing me pull up in their parking lot. It's those folks at Star Chevrolet and Wiggins. Because every time I pull up, I'm fixing to write a $100 check for the deductible, and they're probably fixing to spend 20 times that amount fixing the problem that I have. I'm so thankful for that, Brother Monroe. I had to take it to someone who understood what our problem was. Sometimes we don't understand what our problems are. We don't. Sometimes, listen, in our marriages, we think that, you know what, my husband's my problem. Now, granted, husbands, we can be problems. Amen. Amen. We can. Sometimes, maybe, possibly, Wives could be, I don't know, but it could be. No amens there. <laughs> I, I love you men. You're just as much of a coward as I am. <laughs> Listen to me. Most of marriage trouble, can I tell you what it is? The devil hates your home. That's what the problem is. He hates your home. You're thinking, my teenagers are just such a headache and a problem, and sometimes they may be. But I'll tell you, God hates your teenager. Uh, the, the devil hates your teenager. He hates your home. He wants to destroy it. You look at our nation today and all the things going wrong. Can I tell you what the problem is? We don't understand what the real struggle is. The Bible says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world. Watch this. Against spiritual wickedness in high places. Do you know when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and the, the, the sweat drops as great drops of blood? Do you know it wasn't the people that were bothering him? It wasn't. It was the powers that were bothering him. It wasn't the people that were coming to take him that were causing the anguish and the agony. No, no, no. It was the powers of darkness that were oppressing him at that moment. That is you and I's problem tonight. We don't understand what the struggle is. And if you're not careful, you're going to be like me in the hood of my car trying to fix something when you realize, hey, that's not the problem. The Word of God tells us what the problem is. Understand the struggle is spiritual. It is not carnal tonight. What did Jesus tell Peter? Peter, Satan hath desired to have you. Satan has desired to have you. Notice it was not, hey, Peter, 
it's the Sanhedrin that really wants you on their side. And No, no, that wasn't it. Satan has desire to have you. Can I tell you tonight, nothing's changed. Satan is still consistent. He still desires to have you. He desires to have your home. He desires to have your children. He desires to have your joy. Look at Samson. He desires to have your strength. He desires to have all that God has done and all that God will do. And if you don't understand what the real struggle is, I'll tell you this. You're going to lose this battle. It is not a flesh and blood. It is a spiritual battle that we are facing. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. Let me hurry. The Bible says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. That's not our fight. That's not what we're up against. You know, oftentimes in my life, it's ironic. When I have a problem, I usually see a face. Do you? When I don't sleep at night, I automatically see the face of the dog across the street. That's my problem. What I don't realize is, is Satan has his hand in that dog and he's making him bark to keep me up where I don't want to feel like getting up and reading my Bible and I don't feel like praying. That's what it is. Listen, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Understand the struggle tonight. It is spiritual. 1 Peter 5, 8, the Bible says, be sober, be vigilant because, watch this, your adversary, not your spouse. Your adversary, not your neighbor. Your adversary, not whoever it is you're thinking about. Your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, seeketh whom he may devour. It's a spiritual battle we're facing tonight. And oh, we get so distracted tonight. We get so sidetracked tonight, understanding what the real struggle is. And the real struggle is the fact we are having a spiritual battle. And we're on a spiritual battlefield with eternal consequences. By the way, can I tell you, the devil doesn't fight for things that are worthless. Did you hear what I said? The devil doesn't fight for things that are worthless. Matter of fact, what does the Bible say? Proverbs chapter 6, verse 26, the adulteress hunts for the precious life. I thought about that. She's hunting for the precious life, not the spent and wasted life. If the devil gets after you, hey understand there's a reason he's after your children he there's a reason he's after your home there's a reason he's after this country there's a reason tonight by the way there's one way you can know for sure that this is a spiritual battle verse 12 spells it out but let me let me help you know how you can know that for sure look at what the battle is steering you toward look at what the battle steering you toward I'll give an example so we know that Job's battle was of who? Satan. I mean, Satan himself. Most of my battles are not Satan. Most of my battles are probably just one of his low-level demons. But Job faced Satan himself. Watch where the battle steered his wife. Curse God. Curse God. Do you know what's amazing to me? That anytime I get in a spiritual battle, I'm never tempted to stop watching television. Think about it. I'm never tempted to stop going on vacation. I'm never tempted to stop doing things I enjoy that are carnal. It's amazing the way you can tell when there is a spiritual battle because you are being tempted to go in a direction that is often away from God. That's how you know. That's how you know. 
What, did, what happened to Peter when he was walking on the water and began to sink? It was his faith that was failing. It was his faith that was failing. Number one tonight, the strength to stand begins by understanding the struggle, understanding what we are dealing with. But then watch this. Verse 12 shows us it's a spiritual battle we are facing. But then watch verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Here's what I'm thankful for tonight. I'm thankful that our Father loves us enough that he didn't just say, hey, beware of this and uh, hope it works out for you. You're going up against the powers of darkness, spiritual wickedness in high places. I don't know about you, but I read verse number 12. It makes me want to hide in my spiritual closet. Uncle Jerry Pertell, good friend of mine, I'm most of my life, known him since I was 15. He says, man, if you knew what was walking up and down these streets spiritually, you'd stay home, you'd order takeout the rest of your life. If we could see the powers of darkness and the spiritual wickedness in high places. I've told you before, I, I preached in Washington, D.C., uh, and it was one of the most spiritually oppressive places I've ever been to. Uh, Africa and the deep, dark areas of Uganda and the, the uh, refugee camps, I preached there. And I lined that up right up with Washington, D.C., the two most spiritually oppressive places I have ever preached in my life. If I could have saw what was walking around Washington, D.C., at that time, I would have never left the Marriott. I'd have stayed put. Why? It's very, very real. But watch what God says. You are facing a very real spiritual battle. But then God gives us a very real spiritual response. Number two, if you're going to find the strength of stand, number one, understand the struggle. Number two, understand our security. That's in verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, keyword of God. Don't go out and buy, go, go to the junk store down the road and get you a set of knight's armor. I'm going to get me a breastplate and a, a great big old sword. No, that's not going to work. What you need to fight is of God. If you're fighting something that is of Satan, the only victory is something of God. But I'm thankful he gives us security that is here. He begins to equip us and arm us. Isn't God good? Never overlook the goodness of God. You're thinking, man, this just stinks and I'm in a battle and I don't get to enjoy life. And you're going through troubles in your marriage, trouble with our children, trouble at home, trouble at church. And we're just fighting battle after battle after battle. Hey, don't focus on what's wrong. Focus on what's right. Can I tell you what's right? Our Father's given us what we need for security. But you've got to understand, it's a spiritual battle. Therefore, you have to have a spiritual response. The devil's not afraid of our muscles tonight. He's not afraid of our money or our intellect tonight. He's not afraid of our experience tonight. He's not afraid of our numbers tonight. You look at Christ, the very example we are called to follow. After he was tempted, or when he was tempted, Satan comes to him and in his weakest point, he hasn't eaten in all those days. And boy, there's Satan. Turn these stones into bread. You are who you say you are. Turn these stones into bread. I believe Jesus had all the power to just zap him. You talking about flicking him off your shoulder? Christ could have done that. But what did he do? He fought with a spiritual weapon. He fought with the very word of God. And what does verse 17 say? 
take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Interesting word study. You ought to do this word study sometime. When you look up the Word of God right here in Ephesians 6, it's the word rima, not the word lagos. Lagos is the written word of God. Rima is the spoken word of God. It's very interesting that as we, as children of God, as we are in this spiritual battle, we can trust the Rima, the spoken word of God. God is going to give us what we need in the heat of that battle. But understand, it's not of you, it's all of him. It's his words, not ours. Understand that tonight, the security that we're looking for is right here in the Word of God. God's given us exactly what we need. What's the old phrase? Fight fire with fire. Can I tell you, you fight spiritual wickedness through the Spirit. You've got to fight the spiritual wickedness through the Spirit. I'll tell you, I'll be honest with you, uh, I've said this a lot, and uh, I mean it. Uh, I have flesh just like you do, and I've gotten the flesh, and I've tried to fight spiritual battles in the flesh. It does not work. This arm will fail you. It will fail you, and it will let you down. But a spiritual battle must be fought with a spiritual weapon. Turn with me, if you will, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I want to read this. I want you to see it. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 4. You may know this, but I want you to see it. Why? It can't just be a principle. It's got to be a practical. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, look down verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Stop. They're not carnal. It's not of us. We cannot win this thing. We cannot overcome, we cannot beat this thing, we do not have what it takes to overcome. The only answer is not of us, it is not carnal, but watch what it says. But mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Have you ever needed a stronghold pulled down? I have them in my life from time to time. You're thinking, well, you know, I'm not addicted to anything, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't do drugs, things on that line. Can I tell you? There are way worse strongholds than those mortal vices. You ever had a stronghold of pride? My arch nemesis. My arch nemesis. I can go from spirit to flesh in an instant by way of the freeway of pride. In a heartbeat. If you're not careful tonight, you'll be fighting a spiritual enemy with carnal uh, weapons, and you're going to lose. Watch what it says in verse, uh, verse 5. Casting down imaginations. You ever have imaginations that need to be cast down? Oh, my soul. You ever feel ashamed at the wicked things that pop up between your ears? I heard a preacher say this when I was a kid, and I didn't understand it until I got a little older. And boy, now do I understand it well. He says, we would all be ashamed of each other if we all knew the thoughts that went through our mind throughout the course of the day. The most spiritual person in here is still flesh. And you're in touch with this stuff like I'm in touch with this stuff. And there are times I cry out to God, ashamed at the thoughts that has entered into my mind. And you have to overthrow those thoughts. How do we do that? Well, remember, it's not carnal. 
It's mighty through God, casting down imaginations. And watch this. And every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. If we're not careful, we'll let things get above where God should be in our life. And all of a sudden, everything's out of order. Why? God's out of his order. God's got to be at the top. Keep reading. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You ever heard the phrase, let your mind run, run wild? Has your mind ever done that? Have you ever been having one conversation with somebody, and then you end that conversation, but your thoughts keep going, and five minutes later you say something, you know, uh, about a duck at the city park, and they're like, huh? They didn't realize your mind just kept going. She was already at the grocery store where what she was thinking about, but your mind just kept running, and you're like, well, you know, I got to thinking about the grocery store and some bread and maybe feeding the ducks, and that's how I got there. Your mind, you got to be careful letting your mind run. That's why the Bible says we have, a, we have a, a warfare, we have weapons that help us bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Praise God for that tonight. That when these thoughts run rampant in my mind, in my heart, God gives me what I need to bring them back into captivity. Hey, praise God. Thanks be to God. Through Christ, he gives us the victory. That tonight, I do not have to be captive in this warfare. No, I can help take captives. I got to tell a funny story. Is Colin here? Colin too in here? All right, he's not in here? Good, good. I want to tell this. Brother Richard, can I tell this story about camp? All right, I want to tell this about camp right quick, okay? One of the most hilarious things I have seen in a long time. So we rented commercial laser tag at the camp. We had them ship it in, and we got out there one night, and we were playing laser tag out there in the woods. I mean, it was the most freaky thing that probably those woods have seen in years. I mean, lights everywhere, you know, just glow-in-the-dark stuff everywhere. And, and so we had the blue team versus the gold team, and the guns, once you got shot, the guns turned red. You were over. You had died. Come back to base, okay? We called the road Valhalla. That was where you died, and that's where you came to. And so I was standing there. We started the war. The war hasn't been going on, but maybe two minutes. Here comes Brother Colin and Brother Nehemiah walking out with red guns. And I'm thinking, come on, guys, you haven't even had time to engage the enemy. What happened? Brother Collins, just one of the most honest young men that I know, full of integrity, raises his hand. And he says, I begged him to be on my team, and then I turned on him. I said, excuse me? He says, yeah, I talked him into being my team. He says, I didn't figure I would win, but I didn't want to be the first to lose. And so I got him on my team, and I just picture, you know, here's Brother Nehemiah sitting over in the bunker, getting ready for the battle, and then turning around, and there's Brother Colin pointing his gun at him, you know. He took him out. He took him captive. I'm thinking to myself, you know, they make documentaries about guys like you. (laughs) I'm thinking, I told Brother Richard about that. And then Colin says this, Colin says, he should have known I was going to do that. I said, Colin, that's what serial killers do. They blamed the people they killed. <laughs> he took him a captive. He said, I'm taking you out. He got him. He says, I wasn't the first to die. <laughs> I'm like, you were not, Brother Colin. You were not. Look, don't pick on him, all right? I love Brother Colin. I loved it. He said, hey, look, I may not win the battle, but I'm not going to be the first to go. He got him a captive. Do you know what we need to do tonight as God's people? We need to start taking some things captive. We just got to start taking some things captive. 
I love our church. I love our people. And folks, listen to me. This is a special, special place. I had a pastor tell me today on the phone. He said, Central Baptist Church has always been the model. The model. He said, Satan would love to get his hands on Central Baptist Church. Why? Because it is. It is wonderful. Full of wonderful people. We have a wonderful place here. And folks, we've got to start using the weapons God has given us. And we've got to start taking captive, not being taken captive. Uh, I'm going to tell you, folks, there, there's times in my life to where Satan scares me. Satan plants thoughts in my mind and my heart. You know, there's times in my life where I wonder about things in my heart and my mind, and I wonder about things in your heart and your mind. And after a while, if you're not careful, your thoughts will take you captive. If they can take you captive, then they can take us captive because we are one body. We're one church. One of Satan's greatest tools to use tonight is when he comes through and he tries to take us captive in our hearts and our minds. Folks, I'm just going to tell you, I've been preaching 28 years of my life, and I'm still prone to it. I'm still prone to it. I'm telling you, come thou, is it come thou fount prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it? Is that it? That ought to be my life's theme, theme song. Because I can be up on the mountain, walking with God. You hear the Holy Spirit whisper. You know what that's like? He doesn't have to shout. He just whispers because you're so close. The next thing you know, you find yourself and your thoughts have taken you captive. You see, that's one of his tactics tonight. But God says, I've given you security. Understand, the weapons are mighty through God. Remember Jesus, when he came to Peter. Think about this. I'm going to hurry. He says, Peter, Satan has desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. It's the devil that wants you. But then he says, I have prayed for thee. Can you imagine that? I mean, can you imagine Jesus saying, I, I prayed for you? If I knew Jesus was praying for me, uh, I think I could probably charge hell with a squirt pistol. And then shoot the devil in the eye. Take him captive like Brother Colin did. I think I could. Can I tell you, he is. He is. He's, he's up on the right hand of God. That's where he's at today, and that's what he does for us. That Holy Spirit of God intercedes for us in things that we can't even utter. That's what the Holy Spirit of God does on behalf of us. He's prayed for us, but wait a minute. What did Jesus pray for Peter? I prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. Do you know what he was telling him? It's spiritual. It's spiritual, Peter. When you, when you study, I think I've told you this before, but I want you to think about it. We'll get ready to close. When you would sift wheat back in those days, you'd pile all the, the grain and the barley up. You'd pile it in a big, big old pile, and, and you had this great big winnowing fork. It was kind of a three-pronged pitchfork on a, a long wood handle. And you'd beat it, and you'd beat it, and you'd beat it to separate the kernel from the husks. That's what sifting was. When I was a kid and I would read sifting, you know what I thought? 
grandma, sister, my wife uses one of those for like French toast, putting that powdered sugar on there, you know, that's what I thought, oh, no, 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 that's too gentle, that's too gentle, Satan desires to beat you, matter of fact, Brother Ravi, do you have the picture, uh, I sent you there at the last minute, Brother Ravi, I appreciate him always last minute, I'll send stuff, and he takes care of it, I want you to notice this word right here, uh, pele, it's a Greek word, and when you read in Ephesians 6, where the Bible says we wrestle not, this is the word wrestle. And I want you to look right underneath there at the first definition it gives us. Wrestling, a contest between two in which he each endeavors to throw the other, in which is decided when the victor is able to hold his opponent down with his hand upon his neck. That's the word that he uses here, that he's equating to the Christian fight that we are facing. That's what Satan desires to do to your home to pin you down by your neck, to make you useless in the will of God for your life. That's what Satan desires to do to Central Baptist Church, to pin us down, to make us useless in the will of God for our life. That's why you've got to learn, watch this, the security that he gives us. Take the whole armor of God. It's a spiritual battle we're facing. A while back, I had a sore throat, and um, I hate to tell you this, but there are times I don't always take all of my medicine, and uh, not, that, uh, not that I know better, I do know better, but there are times I'll get busy and forget, and just I'll have a leftover bottle, and so uh, I had a sore throat, and I found a bottle of antibiotic that I had not taken, and I thought, well, how convenient. I don't have to go to the doctor. I'll save that money, and I don't have to get another prescription. And so my wife says, I think you need to go to the doctor. He's kind of getting, I said, no, this will be fine. I just take this, this antibiotic that's here, and boom, diagnose myself, take care of it myself. We're good. Day one, I didn't get better. Day two, it didn't get better. Day three, it didn't get better. And I'm thinking, man, there's something wrong with this antibiotic. You notice it's just wives laughing. I noticed that. I wrote down the name of it. It was uh, Zithromax that I was taking. It was an antibiotic. And uh, I went to my doctor and I said, um, I said, Dr. Hibbets, I've, I've been taking this, but it's not doing any good. I'm assuming it's something worse than strep throat. He says, here's the deal. He says, Zithromax is an antibiotic, sure enough, but you don't use that to treat strep throat. He says, you need a penicillin. That antibiotic is what works on strep throat, and the one you've been taking is of no effect to what you've been experiencing. He said, you're taking the wrong medicine. Basically, you're fighting this thing with the wrong answer. And I believe tonight the reason we don't have the strength to stand is oftentimes we don't understand our security is of God. It's a spiritual answer, not a carnal one. Folks, understand this before we close. The war's real. It is not a cliché. And you're going to get punched in the mouth. You will. Why? Because the devil hates you. He hates you. I, I, can't, I look at these kids around here tonight. Sweet kids, even, even these guys. Got JoJo there. Sweet kid. Owen's still awake tonight. Amen. Amen. Jelly bean after the service, right? Yeah. He's nodding his head, yeah. And I'm sure they can be hard heads at times. Miss Kayla, maybe. Yeah. Miss Brittany, possibly. And the devil hates them. Let's go to something that we'd all agree on for sure. These little girls. All the little girls are sweet, right? That's them back there. Sherman kids, right? They're sweet. 
I'm not going to tell you what mama's saying, but uh, they're sweet. The devil hates them. He hates them. And he's going to try to destroy them. He hates you in your home, your marriage. He hates it. Every time we celebrated 18 years Sunday, I think every time we celebrate an anniversary, it moves us a little higher up his chart of attacks. Why? Because he hates marriages that last. He hates it. And he's going to try to destroy them. I can't tell you how much he hates this church. He hates it. And he hates it for a very good reason. Because of what we stand for because of what we could do for the cause of Christ. But if we don't understand that spiritual warfare is not a cliche, it's very, very real, here's what's going to happen. We're not going to understand the threat, and we're going to fight it the wrong ways. And he's going to destroy us. And down goes another lighthouse, as was mentioned in the prayer tonight. Tonight, could I just encourage you that we get about the business of finding the strength to stand? Understanding our struggle is not flesh and blood, it's a spiritual battle. It's spiritual. The devil wants to destroy this place. But understand tonight that our security is of God. He's given us what we need. The question is tonight, are we going to fight the spiritual battle with spiritual weapons? You see, you and I have to become spiritual. That's where walking with God really does matter. I've told the story, and I'll, I will close with this, I promise. So many times my dad, he's my pastor. I know I'm his pastor, but he's my pastor. It's a weird dynamic, okay? Every pastor needs a pastor. He's my pastor. I told my dad months and months ago just about things we're working through and had a busy week this week, and, you know, Miss Altman passed away. A lot of things, a lot of, a lot of, folks, a lot of needs to take care of this week. And uh, I keep reminding my dad of what he told me. I says, keep reminding me of that. He says, what? He told me that day in my office, he says, you're praying and asking for more. It's going to cost you more. If we want God to do more here, it's going to cost us more. He's got to increase. We've got to decrease. The flesh has got to give way to the spirit. We take that armor. We take our weapons. And rather than us being taken captive, let's take it captive tonight. Our heads are going to be bowed, eyes are closed. Let's stop there. Heads are bowed. I had a point three, but I believe the Lord wants us to stop.